0: Welcome to Season 2 of Sexistential You, the school of sexistentialism. Here we talk about sex, sociology, and the path to a sex-positive, pleasure-filled life. Sexistential You is brought to you by sex educators and therapists Janice Luna and Rachel Klachewski, and is guided by the Circles of Sexuality, a model created by Dennis Daly. In Season 2, we'll be talking about sexualization and power, which according to the Circles involves, quote, how we use our sexuality and may include manipulating and controlling others, end quote. Some of this season's episodes might be a little intense, so we ask that you check in with yourselves while listening and do what you need to in order to
1: take care of yourselves around this topic. Welcome back. This is season two of Sexistential You, the school of sexistentialism. If you haven't listened to season one, we highly recommend that you do in order to get a sense of who we are and what we'll be talking about on the show. We mentioned that we will delve deeper into the circles of sexuality. Season two focuses on one of the most difficult of the five circles, sexualization and power. We decided to start with this circle because the only way out is through, and this is our way through together. For me, It was my rage that led me into the path to becoming a sex therapist and educator. My rage over how our society normalizes robbing all of us of our body autonomy. So let's rage together. We will rage against the machine that is patriarchy. Get ready for this ride. Janice, how do you feel about starting with this circle?
0: Uh, (laughs) So I said to you earlier...
1: Um, that I kind of just
0: feel like talking about sexualization in power, talking about sexual violence, uh, it's just like another day that ends in why for me. I feel like I'm constantly thinking about it, constantly navigating it. I talk about it with my clients. I reflect on it in my life. I write about it in the freelance work that I do. Um, yeah. It's just yeah. kind of sad to me that it's such a like inundated and like normalized part of my life, but that's where we're at, and that's why we do the work that we do to make that not the norm.
1: It's also why we have jobs.
0: Yes, yeah, yes.
1: Do we want to tell our audience how we uh, pre gamed for the show? <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so here we are talking about sexualization and power at eleven o'clock at night on a Monday evening uh, with Bloody
1: Marys. Yeah, <laughs>
0: because sometimes that's how you have to get through it. <laughs>
1: That is a way through, as long as we're not avoiding, right?
0: Right, right.
1: So um, the identified elements of the sexualization and power circle are flirting and seduction, media messages and images, withholding sex, sexual harassment, incest, and rape. We will delve deeper into each of these topics throughout the season. We're beginning with something that seems harmless, which is flirting, Flirting can be harmless and playful, but it can turn dark and deceptive. So let's, let's try fun first. Mm -hmm. So how's your flirting game?
0: Um, My, I'm a a professional,
1: you know, like
0: flirting is what I do at work. Flirting is how I make money. and but you know what's actually really interesting is that before I started stripping, I actually, you know, read a lot of work by strippers and and tried to figure out. I, I somehow sort of like instinctively knew actually that's not true. So I first started out and I kind of went into it blind. Went into it because I had a lot of friends in the queer cruising group on Facebook for New York City who were sex workers. And one of them introduced me into like a local strip club in Brooklyn. And I don't think I did all that much research if I remember correctly, the first time I tried it. Cause I tried it for the first time for three or four months. And then I got a full-time job and left stripping. And then when I left my full-time job, um, and went to grad school, I was like, well, sex work is the way that I'm going to pay for grad school. And I think the second time around that involved a lot more planning. I did a lot of reading. I read a lot of stripper memoirs, sex worker memoirs. Um, And even now, there's a couple of uh, Instagram accounts that sort of teach baby strippers how to do what we do, Um, because strip club flirting is not the same as normal flirting.
1: Yeah. So what's normal flirting for you?
0: Oh, God, it's been a really long time. I think um, I saw this thing on CoStar on Instagram today that was like how the signs flirt, and they told you to check out your... uh, Your Venus sign and your Mars sign, because that's, like, how you love and how you fuck. Like, Mars is, like, (laughs) conflict and fucking, and Venus is, like, romance and beauty. Um, That's why men are
1: from Mars and women are from Venus. (laughs) That makes
0: sense. My entire chart is dominated by Mars, so. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, But my Mars is in Gemini, and it said that, like, you're just flirting 100% of the time, even with people that you hate. And I feel like maybe that's that's how I exist in the world. Just, like, mm-hmm. double entendres, a lot of waggling eyebrows, like, <laughs> being really suggestive. And then my Venus is an Aries, which is, like, just stating the obvious, flirting by literally, like, punching someone in the arm and then, like, grabbing them on the face and kissing them. I don't know. I'm probably not very consent-informed, but...
1: <laughs> I mean... There's definitely a space for that though, and definitely <laughs> someone who's receptive to that. And since we are speaking about power dynamics, it's it makes sense, especially if you're if you are flirting with cis men. Yeah, how that doesn't come off as threatening.
0: Yeah, I don't do the girly girl like let me uh, try to like hide how I feel type flirting. I'm just like very direct. I'm not dating right now. So, I guess maybe this is the other problem is that like I am sort of like really, really not dating right now on purpose. And I don't even remember. Like, I was just really obvious with my ex. I'm like super, super affectionate. If I decide that I like you, I decide probably within the first five minutes of knowing you. And then I'm just like, this is it. Like, I like you. Do you like me? Yes or no? circle one
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, somewhere like in the middle of a conversation you're passing a piece of paper like you might have a couple in your pocket yeah oh well no we don't have pockets we were so you have it somewhere in your bag yeah just... or my bra yeah that's probably you know, They they call them god's pockets I guess that's a, a good place to stash the do you like me yeah <laughs> Papers. just like
0: get straight to the point What about you? How's your flirting game?
1: So it's funny. um, Somewhere I was told that I'm very flirtatious and Uh I don't understand how that happens because I literally talk about whatever pops into my head with whomever is willing to have that conversation with me. Mm -hmm. I don't understand small talk. You ask me about the weather before you know it. We're like taking down the patriarchy. Like within half an hour, you're like in this game with me. So I guess the reason my flirting works for me is because it definitely just filters out the people who can't deal (laughs) because they're like, that's nice. And they walk away while I'm in the middle of a conversation, Yeah, Um, you know, like mid sentence, they just walk away. I'm like, okay, not for them. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just, I am who I am and I don't know how to be anyone else. I never really, I think part of it with me is that I don't realize that I'm flirting until I realize that I like somebody mm-hmm. and you know, I'm demisexual so I don't realize that I like somebody until I do. Mm-hmm. And by then they already know. Cause I've said so. Um, I'm just like, Oh, I'm still here because I think I like you. Like, I, I like I'm pretty sure that's the reason I'm still in this conversation and then I'll keep a conversation going. And I yeah. think that's, that's just my flirting game. I, like, I think that's what's, I'm that's trying my to game.
0: like Google your, your natal chart as you talk.
1: <laughs> I think there's some Scorpio somewhere in there. <laughs> what What year were you born? 84. Okay,
0: that's why I, I did it wrong. Mm. Uh, I did 85 and I was like, she I was can't like, oh, have you a cancer I'm doing it right now.
1: All right. Well, when we are speaking about flirting, I kind of resonated with Adrienne Marie Brown's you know, way of flirting. So I'm going to read a quote while you search my natal chart. I should probably just send you my birth certificate to get
2: the exact (laughs) time
1: that I was born. Um, But she says, The quality of game is much more about being honest and being yourself than being smooth. It's not about small talk, filling the space, or easing the awkwardness. It's letting true desire and curiosity come to the forefront of an interaction. I feel like that's definitely how I do.
0: Yeah. I love the emphasis on curiosity, actually. Like, I think the more that I think about it, like, in my own personal life, I I really sort of keep coming back to curiosity as, like, a core value of mine. It's one of the things that I think about with my ex a lot, too, where, like, really early on, right after our breakup, like, I, like I was really sad at first, obviously. But, um... I was also kind of relieved. And one of the things that I keep coming back to is like my sort of like certainty that he just was not a curious person Mm -hmm. and how much that really means to me. Like, obviously, like processing a breakup is really, really hard. Like the circumstances of the breakup are really, really hard. But like helping me define for myself, like, what are some core values of mine that I really want my partners to show up with? And and I think maybe some of the frustrations that I have with like cis straight men now, as a stripper and also like as someone who like will perhaps date again one day, um, is just like how how rarely I I find curiosity to be something that I am interacting with with cis straight men. You know, there's mm. there's so much certainty in the way that they are in the world, and I'm just like not really into it. <laughs>
1: That actually makes me think of Pickup Artists mm-hmm. and, you know, the most famous Pickup Artist book, The Game.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: because they are all about telling you who you are. Ugh. Yeah, that whole book is is really about, like, first exploit your target, right? Mm-hmm. So, so women are the targets, mm-hmm. right? They're the object. Mm-hmm. You exploit their most... Um, the most insecure feature mm-hmm. that that is, like, visible, right? So you, you don't really know what they're insecure about if it's not in their physical body, mm-hmm. then don't bother. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, I mean, so, wait, that, so know, they
0: specifically target people with, like, body image issues?
1: Well, they also assume that every woman has something, mm-hmm. and if not, they're going to create it. Mm-hmm. So it'll be something like, you know, most dudes don't really like that kind of nose ring, but... <laughs> I think that's kind of hot. I'll take it. You know, so making you feel like the only person in the room that would ever consider you is Uh, him. Right. So now all of a sudden there's this emphasis on whatever's on your face.
0: So it's kind of like a scarcity thing.
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. It's making you have the illusion of scarcity Mm -hmm. Um, and exploiting something, even if it's not something that you're self-conscious about now. It puts it on blast mm-hmm. and then makes you feel vulnerable to this one person. Mm-hmm. And then he'll be very confident in how he speaks to you mm-hmm. about about you. Yeah, girls like you, you know, who make these decisions. Right. You see now you and I flinch at that. Yeah. We're like, oh girls fuck like me. you. Fuck you. Because we've <laughs> we've been in the world, right? Yeah. But speak to an unsuspecting person who is not reading pleasure activism, Uh you know, or has never, you know, experienced negging, right, which is that Mm -hmm. whole exploiting and insecurity thing, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that can really be effective. Mm -hmm. And the likelihood that she'll sleep with this guy is high. And they usually don't go to women in their 30s. They're Mm -hmm. usually going to like really young women, you Mm -hmm. know, 21, 22. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they check that these women are of consenting age, but you know, you can't always know their choices. So this is where flirting becomes a little bit more harmful because while these dudes are just in it for the fucking, Mm -hmm. they're not being Honest,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they're literally using a a checkbox to mm-hmm. decide. Like, I did A, B, and C. I will get laid by the end of the night. Mm-hmm. So it's very, you know, target, you know, target centered. Right? I want to have sex tonight. I'm going to do this at whatever cost, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't matter. They don't care about the human being that's across from them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's really going to translate in the sex. Mm-hmm. Right. But the whole idea is that the game is also playing the game mm-hmm. on these dudes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Because these guys are, are reading this book thinking, like, this is going to make me feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. But the book is really exploiting them as well. Like, mm-hmm. you're a nerd. Mm-hmm. Right. You're this geeky guy. No girl is into you. Right. Like, totally exploiting that. Here. Why don't you peacock and wear this weird object on your head, right? Like, I have a partner who used to love wearing hats, and now he can't because all these douche nozzles who read (laughs) the game are wearing them. So now, like, anytime you see a dude in a hat, especially one that's a little extra, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I know what this guy's up to. Yeah.
0: right. It's so interesting because one of the other things that I, I feel like is connected to, like, pickup culture or whatever you want to call it um is like the idea of like alpha and beta males and Mm -hmm. I actually met a guy at the club like a week or two ago who was also an Aries and I just really can't with Aries men but that's a different conversation um but he (laughs) but he like was he was actually really fun to talk to like yeah they're charming he was like funny and like Pretty down to earth, and just like I was like having an actual decent time talking to him. Like it didn't really feel like work. But then all of a sudden he comes out there with the like, you know, I feel like you. The most of the guys that come here, like the regulars that come here, they've got to be real beta men. And I was like, you have just killed my entire boner.
2: Yeah, like,
1: like that's the- a vagina dryer. Completely, <laughs> like
2: you're calling other dudes betas. Yeah.
1: Are you now going to tell me that I'm not like other girls? Oh, God. Oh, I fucking hate that one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I was just like, what does that mean? Like, even though I knew what it meant, I wanted to, like, apply that sort of, you know, when someone tells a racist joke and then you're just like, I don't get it. Yeah. Can you explain it to me? Like, that's <laughs> <laughs> what I did. And he was like, well, you know, like, guys that have to, like, you know, come and, like, pay women for their company, And I actually ended up conning him into thinking that one of the women that I dance with is my cousin. And then he ended up paying for a room for both of us. And I was like, but you are literally paying to fulfill your own weird fantasy. (laughs) Yeah,
1: right. And um, I would really like to revisit this story Uh, when we get
0: an incest (laughs) episode. Listen, me telling people that this, this girl who I work with who looks like me is my cousin, it works. It has worked for us consistently, like, in the past, like, two or three months, like,
1: I feel like that's also you know just I I don't I don't (laughs) I'm trying to understand like if some dude was like this is this is my cousin and he's hot too we both want to fuck um let
0: me tell you I did a room with two guys who were cousins from Canada and they really thought that like fucking is what happens in VIP which like I have absolutely nothing against extras but there are cameras in our VIP room and like I was like, so you guys do this? Like, this is a thing that you do. Like, you're related, and you, you like, fucking have threesomes in VIP with strippers, supposedly. I don't actually believe them, because they were like, well, in Canada, you can do this for $80. And I was like, A, this is not Canada. B, like, probably you spend substantially more than $80. But, like, why do you do this with your cousin? <laughs> yeah.
1: And also, like, there was a song in the... I think it was the late 90s or early 2000s um, by... Chris, come on, comedian, not Tucker. Rock? Chris Rock. (laughs) There is no sex in the champagne room.
0: I mean, I'm sure, like, I... (laughs) One of the things about, like, working in a strip club is that, like, you know, lateral whorephobia is definitely a thing. So, like, the whorephobia that, like, uh, strippers who don't do extras sort of, like, aim at strippers who do do extras. Like, that's a real thing. You know, I'm, I'm definitely sure. Like, my club, it's really... I don't do it because it's my choice not to do it. Um, I feel like in a VIP room, there's not enough time for me to, like, assess for safety in terms of, like, STIs, getting condoms out, all that stuff. You know, our club is really, really strict about it in general. So, like, it's – it's. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure people do it in my club, but I don't. And I, like – but I also understand that, like, it's a thing that happens, you know, in, in strip clubs across the country and that's totally fine. People have to make their own choices and do what's best for them in terms of how they make their living. Um I don't remember how we got on this. Yeah, well, I
1: mean, <laughs> I think that whole song is really about like it's not
0: Well it shouldn't be your expectation going yes, into a strip club. Yes. You know, like it, it really shouldn't be your expectation. I mean, he also
1: tells us that Gemini dies twice. So <laughs> there is some wisdom in that song and maybe some not so much wisdom in that song.
0: Yeah. Um, I also think what happens though for for guys. So here's the other thing is like this Aries guy who was like talking about alphas and betas, right? Like got my number at the end of the night. And I was like, "But you're definitely not a beta, right? Like you you totally didn't just pay for attention and like, you know." Yeah.
1: No, you you're just trying this out. It's yeah. your first time, right? Yeah. You know. Like guys, don't do this they lose
0: the it, time. they lose it a little bit in a strip club. Like I a friend of mine came to visit me who I went to school with. <laughs> And he came to visit me and he brought some of his friends. And one of his friends was like, well, how much is it to take you home at the end of the night? And I was like, man, like, I'm not insulted because I know that people do that. But also, like, there's, like, only one degree of separation between me and you. And it's, like, a friend that we have in common. And, like, if if that was on the table, my friend would have told you that, you know? Yeah. That would have been
1: clarified, I think.
0: Yeah. So they kind of just lose some common sense.
1: And, you know, there was also – there's also the approach, Mm -hmm. right? I think that – You know, there's a way to ask and there's
2: a way to ask. Yeah, that was not the way to ask. Right, I don't
1: think you were insulted at the proposition. I think you were insulted at his approach.
0: Yeah, and the the cool thing was, you know, one of the other friends was like, one of our friends is having a birthday party and we would love if you would come and perform. And like, you know, what is your rate for that? And I was like, that's cool. Like, that's a cool thing to ask me. And I was like, it's $300 for an hour. And then if you want dances, it's, you know, $25 dance, $30 dance you no, that was cool. That was respectful. That was like recognizing that this is my job. It wasn't like Wait
1: one second audience. It's 2019. If you're listening to this song and not this song, sorry, this <laughs> podcast in a couple of years, the prices might be different.
0: Well, I so. mean, honestly, if we were adjusting for inflation, lap dances should be $40. They've been $20 since the seventies or $25 since the seventies. Oh, fuck that. Yeah. I usually charge 30 and then people give me two twenties and I keep the change.
1: Yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back. Anyway, so sorry.
0: power dynamics.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you know, when it comes to flirting, power dynamics are a really important um, thing to consider because there's, again, the, the approach is a really important part, right? When you know that you're carrying a certain kind of privilege, there is a way to communicate with a person as to not trigger an experience that they might have had mm-hmm. you know in the past with other people that they deal with constantly
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you know when it comes to power dynamics as we've mentioned earlier right your approach might not translate very well if a cis het man was doing this to a woman <laughs>
0: punch someone on the arm and then grab <laughs> them and kiss them yeah don't yeah. do that if you're- <laughs> yeah, i also like- don't actually do that to people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's the vibe
1: <laughs> right it's, it's the the vibe if we weren't living in a world where there was so much sexualization and power issues.
0: That was literally a thing that society. I did in pre-K though.
1: Oh, and well, pre-K is a <laughs> completely different... I mean, we can talk a little bit about pre-K if you like, but um, one of the things that always really... I I hear this in movies a lot, and I've heard this in, in many different snippets, and I used to work with teenagers... And the thing of, like, you have all the power if you like them less. Mm -hmm.
0: That was never a thing that I was successful
1: at. Yeah. (laughs) Me neither. Um, The thing is, is that I genuinely didn't like anybody in (laughs) school. So that helped. And then the one person that I did knew, but he was being a dick about it. So I stopped liking him. And then he got all confused. Because I was like, oh, I could just like turn that off now. Mm -hmm. Well, you turned it off, but yeah, like it's like now no Mm -hmm. longer a thing. I don't like you anymore. Yeah. Um, Well, the idea of like hiding Mm -hmm. that you like somebody because you need to have more of the power and how it translates into the relationships, right? Because if we think about flirting, right, especially in the space of dating, right? Not one night stands, it begins to set up your dynamic with Mm -hmm. another person. These are the communications Mm -hmm. that you're having with them. And so if you're already being deceptive from the beginning, Mm -hmm. that's going to linger and weave its way through your entire relationship. Mm -hmm. Even if you do make changes, it's still kind of there because the person already has an impression of you unless you say otherwise.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So, you know, like, have you heard any of that? Like, oh, you have all the power.
0: I feel like a big part of my 20s was, like, obsessing over when to send a text message back to someone. Mm. And I don't know, I always connect this to astrology because I have so much Aries in my chart that I'm just like, I don't have the patience to, like, coyly wait two days to text you back. Like, if you text me And I have my phone and I see it and I have a second to text you back. I'm just going to text you back. You know, like I'm not going to do that coy thing of being like, oh, maybe I'm unavailable or maybe I'm on a date with someone else or maybe I just don't like you enough. So now that's going to make you like me. Like, I just can't do it. I can't do it.
1: Right. One of the lovely things about dating only non-monogamous people and being non-monogamous myself is that the assumption that there are other people is present Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's helpful. I don't have to play this game of like, will I be exclusive with you? The answer is no, Mm -hmm. I will not be exclusive with anybody. Um, The other thing that I like about it is that you can also just tell somebody that you like them Mm -hmm. and they're like, great, let's meet again. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to play that game. And it was just like one of those really interesting realizations that I had when I first started dating like, in the poly space, mm-hmm. where I was like, wait, hey, these people actually respond back the way that I talk to people. Mm-hmm. Like, they do this. They tell me that they like me, and mm-hmm. I'm into it, right? Like, this is wonderful. This is really great. Then I made the mistake of dating, like, in the normative space mm-hmm. again, and I was like, this is hard. Mm-hmm. You have to read minds, which I I can't actually do. Like, mm-hmm. I'm good at figuring shit out with people, but mm-hmm. I don't actually read minds.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I found that, you know, I would text the next day and say, hey, I had a great time. When do you want to hang out again? I'm a busy person. Mm-hmm. And they would be like, hey, don't be so thirsty. You know, And I was like, wow, oh. did someone
0: actually tell
1: you that? <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, you know what? Um, since you don't want me to be thirsty, right? How about we just don't meet? Yeah, because like, I kind of like having that feeling mm-hmm. I want to thirst for you. I want to miss you. I want to desire you. And if you don't want that feeling and you shut it down, Mm -hmm. then you're clearly not mature enough for me to be like playing around with Mm -hmm. or like spending any of my precious time with. Yeah. Like, dude, I charge 250 an hour. If you want me to wait around two days for you, like that's going to be a problem.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I did notice that when I was dating women, they were always way more receptive to yeah. my immediate responses
0: yeah women and like non-men are so much better <laughs> <laughs> at just like being humans
1: <laughs> because they have to they have to overcome so much more
0: and also like i don't know i went on a date with someone recently and and i it helped me figure out that i'm just like not in dating space right now but we had this like beautiful text exchange where i was like hey I don't think I'm, like, sexually available right now. I'm just dealing with a whole bunch of stuff. I'm burnt out on dating. I'm burnt out on sex. But I would really love to, like, have you play with my hair while we watch TV. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like that's, like, the utmost, like, the, the, the top tier of physical contact I can deal with right now. And we just had this really beautiful conversation. And it started in text, I think, where I was like, hey, like, I just need to let you know that this is where I'm at right now. And I don't want to, like continue under the false pretenses that like this is a sexual thing because I'm just really not in that space right now and then we went out for uh we got like a drink and went to (laughs) go see a concert or something and while we were at the bar right before the concert started they were just like hey I'm I'm really like glad that you you said that it made me really think about where I'm at too and then we just had this like very open and transparent and like kind conversation about where we were at in terms of like physical contact and like sexual contact and sexual intimacy and like just, just I I don't think I have ever had such an explicit conversation with someone who I had gone on a date with about like what is on the table and what is not and having it be totally okay no matter what
1: yeah that's wonderful I'm yeah. so glad you had that experience <laughs> it's so fun um I'm very fortunate that of the cis men that I've been dating that that has been my experience and not just because I asserted that like mm-hmm. they were very much a part of that conversation. So I really do appreciate that. And part of why I'm still with them, mm-hmm. um, definitely. Mm-hmm. And they're definitely listening to this. So they know, <laughs> um, but, It was just very automatic with most of the non-cis men that I've been dating. Mm -hmm. So when I say women, I'm talking about cis and trans women Mm -hmm. that I have dated. I just haven't had as much experience with trans men. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why, because they're not off the table for me. Uh, They just maybe... I'm too femme. I don't know. Um, Like, I just don't register in the OkCupid algorithm for many of them. So, yeah. And I just left Cupid, So that's the other reason. Mm -hmm. Either way, I have found that my experiences with women have been a little bit more intentional. Mm -hmm. um, And those power dynamics are kind of different. But Mm -hmm. I still have to be aware of, again, my privilege, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm dating a woman of color or if I'm dating a trans woman, I need to be aware that I have a power Mm -hmm. that, you know, that has to be navigated in how I flirt with them. Yeah. not for anything again i don't want to trigger anything that's hard for them Mm -hmm. or something that that is unfair to them so again being on top of that and being aware is part of flirting and still keeping my own authenticity and all of that is really important i think that's when flirting stays playful
0: yeah i also think and we have to wrap up this first section in like a minute but i think what what that's bringing up for me is just like the grace with which people handle rejection or not you know like i feel like a big part of flirting is being able to just not take it super personally if someone's like hey i'm not really like feeling this right now you know
1: it's not personal but yeah it's not your your production of things that that they're dealing with and so it's not about you
0: mm-hmm. i mean even if it is like I, I deal with, like, a lot of rejection at work, and and a lot of the time it's, like, really rude rejection, so I think, like, I've built up a pretty thick skin about it, but even if it's, like, you're not my type, like, I'm not physically attracted to you, it's like, okay, moving on, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? I'll just find another person. Yeah.
2: All okay. right. So well, after
1: the break, we're going to discuss seduction. Okay. So.
0: Hey friends, Janice here. You're listening to season two of Sexistential You, the school of sexistentialism. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you like what you're hearing, consider finding us on Patreon. We have a bunch of exciting tiers for patrons, including polls and surveys for future content, exclusive access to minisodes, shout outs on the show, and even private consultations with me and Rachel. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at sexistential.you. Now back to the show. everyone we're back with the second part of our episode where we're going to be talking about seduction and I'm gonna open up with a quote from uh, a book that I bought when I was just getting back into stripping <laughs> um, called the concise art of seduction by Robert Green he's also the guy that wrote the 48 laws of power um, And here's what he says in the preface about seduction. So I bought this within the context of becoming a stripper again and knowing that this was actually going to be part of my job. Um, So he says... Seducers are people who understand the tremendous power contained in moments of surrender. They analyze what happens when people are in love, study the psychological components of the process, what spurs the imagination, what casts a spell. By instinct and through practice, they master the art of making people fall in love. As all great seducers know, it is much more effective to create love than lust. A person in love is emotional, pliable, and easily misled. The origin of the word seduction is Latin for to lead astray. A person in lust is harder to control and once satisfied may easily leave you. Seducers take their time, create enchantment and the bonds of love so that when sex ensues, it only further enslaves the victim. Creating love and enchantment becomes the model for all seductions, sexual, social, and political. A person in love will surrender. Um, yeah, so I... It makes sense to me as a stripper, you know, why I bought this. I actually never read it. It's it's kind of funny. It takes you through like all of these different archetypes of seducers. Uh from it's super binary for like men and women. So there's the coquette, there's the rake, there's the natural, um, which is probably me. This like innocent kind of like doofus. Um but it takes you through all of these archetypes and, like, you know, the, the sort of way that the archetype works, which I think is, like, a really interesting way to think about it. But you had a different take on seduction when we talked about this.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I saw seduction as, you know, the purpose is to deceive. It's coercive. I had a very dark perspective of seduction. I I still kind of do. Like I think that definition that you read, it was like that's pretty fucking dark. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's that's like you're enslaving a person who's vulnerable mm-hmm. and like you want to make them fall in love with you. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just but so I much think the
0: important thing involved. about that is, you know, how we ended the previous portion of our episode talking about power dynamics. We're like, yes. if I think about power dynamics in the club, I'm thinking about monetizing the things that are expected from me for free. So emotional labor, sexual availability, you know, uh, just like pumping up some guy's ego, right? So the power dynamics outside of the world and also inside the club to some extent are like in their favor. And I'm turning that on, on its head.
1: Well again at the club it is consensual, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they're coming into a strip club.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Like this isn't this isn't like going to a bar and like meeting somebody. This isn't going on but a But you date.
0: know what? I would also hustle guys outside of the club. Okay. I think they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. I mean that's you playing with your right with with your power dynamic, right? Like with what exists for you. Um and, you know, however that pleased for you. And I'm not going to say that I never did, right? Like, I know when I used my femininity to my benefit. Um, I don't do it currently. Mm-hmm. And I know that I have a lot of access to it. Like, I when, you know, for the maybe half a year that I had my OKCupid okay profile up, there were several dudes who were hitting me up to be their sugar baby. And mm-hmm. I was like... I could have my rent paid. Like, and and they all insisted, like, sex is not part of this arrangement. You do not have to have sex. Like, you don't even have to want to have sex with me. I just really want your companionship. And I'll, like, shower you with gifts. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, this sounds so good, but I have, like, such an issue with that for me. Well, also, I I don't
0: believe them, first of all. Yeah, I know.
1: There was (laughs) definitely a lot of skepticism. Like, I didn't really believe all of them. I think... That, like, there definitely was a, you know, I'm going to hook you in with all of these expensive things and then make you feel like you owe this Mm -hmm. to me or this will go away if you Mm -hmm. don't give me what I want. Mm -hmm. Like, I had a feeling that was there. But even if what they were saying was true, Mm -hmm. I personally have an issue with gifts. Mm -hmm. Like, if gift giving is your love language... Just we're not a good match Mm -hmm. because I have a hard time accepting gifts. Mm -hmm. It's just like this like weird thing that happened. Hi Nella, we have a we have a doggy here, (laughs) and she's sniffing me because I spent the day with a cat. So, (laughs) um, so receiving gifts for me is tied to a lot of things Mm that are very difficult. for me, for my childhood and from, mm-hmm. you know, different ways that gifts were used against me. Mm-hmm. Um, easiest things like I refused to get my license because I knew that my parents were going to leverage the car mm-hmm. against me mm-hmm. until I eventually got my license. And then within a week, they were leveraging the car against me. But yeah. I was already like, fuck you, bitches. I figured this out. Like, I knew you yeah. we were going to do it. And I found another way. But that's basically what was happening there. Like, I just had that same visceral reaction to this person promising me all of this stuff. I was like, nah, you're promising it so that you could take it away. Yeah. And so, right, but I do get using your feminine wiles mm-hmm. to get the shit that you want. And also, historically, this is how women survive. Yeah. Right? This was definitely a survival mechanism for women. It's what they needed. Mm-hmm. Um, And this also makes me think of all of those people who are like, oh, the good old days, Mm -hmm. you know, when everybody had their gender roles. And I'm like... You're the same person who's complaining about gold diggers, mm-hmm. but at the same time want women to literally be digging for gold with you because they have no other choice.
0: Yeah, there's um an Instagram account that I follow. Um, a writer and speaker named Zahira Kelly Cabrera, and she's Dominican. She actually just moved back to the Dominican Republic and she talks about the uh, gender roles in terms of like providers and and you know, like men being providers and women being like receiving um, like money and like shelter and all of this stuff. And she talks about how dating now, it's like guys are expecting all of the trappings of femininity, you know, having a place to stay, like living with someone who keeps house for you, who cooks for you. And she'll, she will like frequently post about, how like yeah you want someone who's like a woman who kept house like your grandma but like you are not providing like your grandpa you are not paying for this house you are not paying for the kids to go to school you are not paying for all the food you are not doing all of these things but you still expect you know to have a woman who will fuck you whenever you want to be fucked and keep your house clean and put food on your table and like take care of your kids and it's just like where is the where's the equality of that exchange then what are you providing in, right. in response to that?
1: And also, right, when we think about the reason women have created a liberation for themselves, it's because they were not happy, mm-hmm. right? Because they had an intellect that wasn't being used and they wanted to use it because it felt good. Mm -hmm. It feels good to use your intelligence Mm -hmm. when you have it, instead of suppressing it to make somebody else feel better because he has to be smarter, Mm -hmm. why? You know, when I think of, when I really think of a dyad, a hetero dyad that got it right, I think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her husband. He really understood her potential Mm -hmm. and stood behind her. And for the time, that was magnificently Mm -hmm. progressive. And, you know, I think about women feeling like they have to have sex with their husbands. Mm -hmm. And the fact that marital rape wasn't even like an issue until 1993. Mm -hmm. And so seduction as being, you know, something that women do is much less offensive to me because Mm -hmm. we have been socialized
2: Mm -hmm.
1: to gain resources Mm -hmm in this way that and when you
0: think of the sort of like social cost of succumbing to seduction right the social cost yes. is always higher for women yes like historically it has always been like you know your purity is what you have to protect because that's what you give to someone in marriage you know that's what like makes you a marriageable person so like to be th- i mean it's like I, ca- I guess like you know you you think about it now in terms of like guys who have sex with a lot of people and it's just like they're a player but it doesn't like destroy their character whereas right. like women are still sluts and that's still like a, a character flaw
1: yeah well I'm a proud slut so <laughs> yeah I was actually having that very conversation with my mother the other day I was like you used to accuse me of dressing slutty like there's something wrong with it mm-hmm. and I still don't understand
2: <laughs> And she's say
1: like, she just looked at me for a very long time and was hoping that was making me uncomfortable. But you get used to these kinds of power techniques, you know, when they're your parents. So, you know, I'm wondering a little bit, like, have you ever been seduced?
2: Have I ever
0: been seduced? I don't actually know. Um, I guess the problem that I have with it is, like, what is being promised? I think I've been... I've been in a lot of situations not only with cis straight men, sometimes with women too. And I don't I can never tell what the line is between willful sort of um like misleading and the people I was dating just like not really knowing themselves en- enough to know what they could offer and what they could not emotionally. I feel like I was pretty consistently in my 20s sort of like led into a situation where I felt like it's really hard for me to in my personal relationships to like fake things Mm. so I felt like in in mostly in the poly situations that I was in in my early and mid 20s but also in my last relationship I felt like I was being like invited into a relationship where I thought that like things were even and like we were both offering like emotional availability and like the same type of relationship and then sort of like the rug was pulled out from under me and it was like oh actually I'm not a relationship anarchist actually this partner is my primary partner and I'm gonna like just ghost you because it's causing too much stress in my primary relationship and like I I don't know if I was seduced in, like, a willful way or if I was seduced in terms of, like, the idea that was being presented to me was, like, in alignment with what I had wanted, which was, like, relationship anarchy and really just, like, you know, metamores knowing and respecting each other. And then the reality of that was not
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> You mentioned a couple of words that I think we need to define mm-hmm. for our audience. So f- the easier one is metamorph, mm-hmm. right? So metamorph, do you want to define? Uh,
0: I mean, the easiest definition I know is like your partner's partner, who you are not involved with.
1: Right. So you don't have a romantic or sexual link with them, but you have some kind of like relationship to them like a Mm -hmm. friendship Mm -hmm. otherwise they're just your partner's partner Mm -hmm. that there there is some controversy on that definition some people think that anyone who's dating your partner is a metamor Mm -hmm. but some people are like no that's really like you have to have some interaction with Mm -hmm. them some kind of Mm -hmm. relationship with them um and then relationship anarchy which is my favorite (laughs) because it's a minority of a minority Mm -hmm. um do you want to define it
0: Uh, it's been a long time since I've been in the sort of relationship anarchy sphere, but I, I think I mostly know the n- definition when it is like contrasted with like hierarchical polyamory. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, people really try to consciously resist the idea of having a primary partner or creating tears among their partners. So I think like for me, one of the things that is really, like, now I recognize as a trigger for myself as, like, being put in the position of being a secondary, which Adrienne Marie Brown talks about in Pleasure Activism. She talks about, like, the pleasure that she takes in being the secondary, you know, at times, especially if it's something that is consciously engaged with. I was never really consciously engaging as a secondary. I was like, I don't really want to be. And I also, like, if it was something that I was, like, walking into... W- knowing that that's what it was going to be and with those expectations, then that would be a- one thing. But like, this is the sort of like seduction aspect of it where it was like, oh no, we're going to incorporate you either into this couple that I was dating where like I was going to be, it was going to be like a-, a triad where I was dating both of them, mm-hmm. you know, or I was dating someone who had a long-term girlfriend and they had sort of like positioned themselves as a relationship anarchists. Um, but it ended up being like hierarchical. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, that's really not what I was on board
1: for. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think for myself, when it comes to, so first, Andy Norgren wrote the Relationship Anarchy Manifesto. Mm-hmm. It's easily accessible online. Literally look up Relationship Anarchy Manifesto. We will have it in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they talk about the the things that are really specific to relationship anarchy. And one of the things that I like about it is that first, yes, it's non-hierarchical because you are not prioritizing any kind of relationship over another. So yes. that means that like my friendships are just as valuable to me as my sexual relationships, mm-hmm. or maybe not even necessarily as valuable. And you prioritize because of time based on equity. Mm-hmm um so equity meaning like where am i needed and wanted most Mm -hmm. and where do i want and need the most Mm -hmm. so like i know in some you know in one of my relationships i'm a total side piece but i came into that knowing that that's what i was gonna be like you don't show up when somebody's married for over a decade
2: yeah you know
1: and be like i'm gonna end up on the same tier as this person no i'm not Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's not happening but there's also no escalator the Mm -hmm. relationship doesn't change right it doesn't turn into something there's no marriage there's no moving in the relationship is what it is mm-hmm. and you have conversations anytime there's any friction around that
2: mm-hmm.
1: um which is another thing that's very specific to relationship energy there are zero assumptions
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and I can see how that can be really you know seductive especially when you're navigating a space you know and and it carries all of the values that you want when somebody uses the word and like it's so rare that people even know what relationship anarchy is mm-hmm. so when they use the terminology you're like oh you must know what you're talking about mm-hmm. you know when I when I first entered polyamory anybody who was saying that they were polyamorous or even ethically non-monogamous was mm-hmm. somebody who really understood what the fuck was up today that is
0: not my experience at all
1: yeah well, I mean <laughs> To be fair, I did enter the space when I was in my early 20s, okay. and so the the terms were not being used by many people. Um, yeah, I'm just a bit older than you.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Only half a decade, but significant enough that by the time you were entering it, it had already been distorted thanks to, you know, social media was a pro and a con mm-hmm.
2: right, for mm-hmm
1: non-monogamy and so it was seductive when people were using the words because it's like finally these are people that understand mm-hmm. what I want mm-hmm.
2: um,
1: you know th- my first very real experience with seduction actually had nothing to do with um, you know non-monogamy which you know there definitely was some stuff in that but one that leaves the greatest impression was when I was in high school mm-hmm. um, there was a boy We're going to call him Jeremy because that was his name. (laughs) And he was trying to hook up with me. And I was hesitant because I was facing pretty intense slut shaming. And, you know, I didn't want to provide any content for my bullies to pull from. So, like, I was basically chased as far as it concerned anybody that I went to school with. Mm -hmm. They didn't know about my relationships because it was none of their business. So, you know, he kept saying, and he used a lot of, like, the game kind of technique. He said, like, this is the one and only chance that you will have to get with me. What a privilege. Right? Like, as if he's the greatest (laughs) experience of life. Like, I would be shocked if this dude is even listening to this. But, yeah, I'm talking about you, Jeremy. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, and he, he spent a couple of weeks being really nice to me. And at the time, not many people were being nice to me. So he made me feel like his so-called kindness was conditional. Um, I never hooked up with him. But I remember my 17-year-old self wondering if I made the wrong decision. I do remember having that moment where I was like, did I just fuck it up with the one person who's actually nice to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was severely anxious about what my day-to-day would look like now that I didn't give him what he wanted.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like, obviously today, right. I'm. It's almost 20 years, not quite. Mm-hmm. Right. It's almost 20 years since that moment. And I definitely see that he was like such a fuck boy, you know, mm-hmm. like typical, like, I'll be nice to you to get what I want. And when I don't want it, like when I don't get what I want, then you're not worth my time situation. But back then, that was really impactful. And I was really anxious about it. And so I remember that whole moment. And like, the thing that really made him a fuck boy is that he called himself <laughs> the Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> the. Don't put a the before your name, or maybe do it so that we all know who the fuck you are. Um, but yeah, you know, that was like, really difficult for me to, to really face that moment where the only reason I didn't want to hook up with this guy was mm-hmm. because I was afraid of the consequences due to my already being bullied. Mm-hmm. But if I wasn't bullied, like, I think I might've actually gone for it with yeah. him. And I, and like, I think that would have made me feel really shitty. Yeah. You know? But not to say that I was never seductive, right? Mm-hmm. So I was a really good cool girl, mm-hmm. right? We, we referenced the cool girl in season one, episode five.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was very good at it because mm-hmm. I literally, like, I could not gain... ounce so I was a perpetual size four I had I was stacked right I had like great breasts I actually had somewhat of an ass at the time let's say maybe a triple stack pancake okay (laughs) like it was a little flat but it was there you know pretty decent white girl (laughs) ass um you know and I was into a lot of like really fun things I didn't have a lot of girlfriends because really there was a lot of drama at the time and I couldn't deal with it at Mm -hmm. that point because they would call me out and I wasn't down for that Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and you know I was thin I didn't want relationships with anybody because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to be monogamous Mm -hmm. so I was just like I just want to like fucking get this over with you know and these guys literally fell in love with this concept Mm -hmm. they were like she's not gonna want anything this is really no strings attached so they created strings and I was able to get anything I wanted like I got so many free drugs like that I would actually sell and make money off of so like I was all profit right there you know I I survived very nicely in college being the cool (laughs) girl because people were just like wanting to give me things with the promise that I might have sex with them Mm -hmm. and most of the time I didn't because I didn't want to Mm -hmm. but it was there because I did have sex with a good number of them, and mm-hmm. so they were like, "It's possible." The hope is there, uh-huh. and so I exploited that as much as I could. And I mean, like, seriously, zero regrets. You know, I never made promises. They just assumed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's my experience with seduction—pretty thorough and <laughs> dual.
0: <laughs> I just, I guess, like, I really, when I'm, when I think about high school. I like, I really hate that because I I had a, uh, my first boyfriend ever. And I I say first boyfriend because he wasn't actually my first boyfriend, but he was like the first person that I liked kissing. Mm -hmm. So like, I kind of rate my relationships and remember them even like the ones that I didn't enjoy. I like erase them from my head, but the ones that I do enjoy, those are the ones that sort of like I keep as like these, this is my quote unquote number. Right. So my number is like well into the 30s or 40s at this point. Um, but, like, my actual number of, like, relationships that count to me are the ones where I feel good. So that's maybe, like, four. Yeah. Um, but my first boyfriend, when I was in high school, told me that he loved me after three days. And I, I at least had the presence of mind as a 16-year-old, and he was, like, 17, to be like, we've been dating for three days, you cannot possibly love me. Um. <laughs> But, you know, then, like, a week later, he ghosted me before, like, ghosting was even a term on the internet.
1: Wait, but you were in the same school? No, we weren't in the same school. Oh, okay. I was like, how do you do that? We met at musical
0: theater (laughs) camp over the summer.
1: Oh, wow. There's a lot I don't know about you.
0: Um, But he, like, stopped talking to me because we'd gone on three dates and it was, like, super heavy making out and petting. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't know my body could feel this way like, I'm not ready because I was also raised super Catholic. And I was like, I thought until this moment that I was going to wait until marriage. Um, and I was like, I just need some time. And then it was the whole, like, I love you thing. And then when I was like, I'm still not ready to fuck you. Cause I'm 16 and I don't think I started birth control until like two years after that. Um, he like ghosted me and I, I really hate, like, I, I guess I, I, The reason why, like, when we started talking about this episode and why I sort of got tripped up on, like, seduction as um, a sort of coercive thing was because I never really made the connection until now that that was, like, an attempt at seduction. Like, obviously, Mm. like, now, being 30 years old and thinking of 16 and 17-year-old boys, I'm just like, you gross little scabby idiots. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) But like, I guess that was like that was like an attempt to seduce me into having sex by by telling me that he loved me. And I'm just like, you know, my last relationship ended like eight months ago. And I went back and I read our text messages to each other. And I don't know if our listeners are familiar with the term love bombing, but that was kind of, you know, it's a sort of characteristic a lot of the time of like narcissistic um, traits in a relationship, like I hesitate to make any kind of diagnosis, right? Because I'm not talking necessarily about personality disorders. But like love bombing as a seduction technique as, you know, identifying what your targets, it's sort of the opposite of negging, I guess, like yeah. you identify what the, your your tr- sort of targets what they need to hear about themselves. Yeah, you know, putting the, the, them on a pedestal. Yeah, the praise that they need or like creating some sort of commonality between two people. And I went back and I read the text messages from my ex when we first met and I was like, wow, like the the pet names started within like a week and like, you know, identifying, like complimenting my writing, you know, well, like he knew enough not to compliment. Like, I don't really care. Like, I know that I'm pretty, whatever. But um, he knew enough to like compliment my writing and like compliment my intelligence and you know, you know create this sort of like bond between us where we were so compatible and so on the same page with each other and and even like sort of like low grade pitting me against other women in his life mm-hmm. and like making like elevating me, you know, and and
1: that's really. Fucking sophisticated, know. you know, and know. it's just like so shitty that that's where you're putting your energy. You know? I know.
0: Be genuine with people, like, yeah, I don't know, but I guess like just thinking about seduction from that standpoint, and and I guess like it's not until you go through it and then you recognize that that's what you've been through that you can start identifying some of the more subtle techniques of of seduction because it, you know, I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. I was like, yeah, we definitely are like the only two people in the world who are meant for each other. Right.
1: And I think that part of our narratives of relationships and and dynamics, especially heterodynamics is that men have to get the girl Mm -hmm. and girls have to be gotten, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and so we're all playing this game of seduction where we need to be right cis women in particular need to be attractive enough mm-hmm. and you know to be able to make men see them and then men have to make m- women want to open their legs for them and so yeah they have to do what they need to do to get the sex yeah um and so and that includes saying that they love you after three days
0: yeah
1: you know and and this whole thing is taking us off course Mm -hmm. because we're in the meantime, we're playing this whole game, but to what end? Yeah. Right. Like where are we headed with this? A 51% divorce rate and most marriages that aren't even happy Mm -hmm. where people aren't even interested in being in the same Mm -hmm. room with their partners. Like what are we doing right now?
0: (laughs) And I feel like this is something that's going to come up in our withholding sex episode too, where we talk about like, You know, I think, especially in, like, cis-hetero relationships, the idea that, like, men are trying to get sex, and I don't even think that's necessarily the case all the time. Like, I think men really need, like, intimacy and attachment, and they just don't know, at least in my experience with men, like, they don't know how to recognize, A, that's a need that they have, and then, like, B, communicate that with a partner. But I think for, like, cis-hetero women, the idea that, like, they really want love and, like, withholding sex in order to get love, right. you know, like you're all just so going to keep like passing, you know, you're not ever going to meet up in any sort of way.
1: Right. And there was an actual study that was done that speaks about the loneliness of cishet men. Mm-hmm. In that because of these like scripts that exist and them which that we just keep buying into mm-hmm. that, these men aren't getting any intimacy mm-hmm. and the only, and like anytime they touch, their female partners, um, it's always leading to sex,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Like, because it's like, oh, you know, I hugged her and so now sex has to happen. But like, yeah. what if they don't want it? I like, actually, are they even able to say it?
0: I actually just wrote a piece and I interviewed um, cis women and gender non-binary folks. I didn't interview any cis men. But I just wrote a piece about platonic intimacy and how folks just at least the people that I interviewed were like, I can't do that with cis men because they always think it's about sex. And the expectation is that it's about sex. And that makes me really sad because I'm just like, and I've, I've had this talk with my clients too, where it's just like, I sometimes just need touch and contact and closeness. And it's not necessarily about sex. You know, we all have these needs for, for closeness and being held,
1: and yes. I mean, p- part of the whole reason why breasts are even a thing that dudes like is because it reminds them of the comfort of, you know, like their mother, mm-hmm. right? Like that's like a whole Freudian thing, but it keeps actually coming up in my sessions with cishet dudes. Mm-hmm. too, And like they talk about how like they don't get to have those relationships with other with their friends mm-hmm. the way that women get to have those relationships with their friends mm-hmm. so it's just kind of you know difficult that they're so busy playing a game yeah in order to get what they want and they're still not getting what they want
0: yeah all right well we're gonna end the episode here so we'll see, we'll catch you next time <laughs> yeah
1: and you know let's see what's coming up next yeah right?
2: all right
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Sex Essential You, the school of sex essentialism. Would you like to contribute to a future episode, have a burning sexuality question that you just need answered, or want to have a voice message featured on the show? Reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at sexessential.u or email us at sexessential.u@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you.